0: Hello and welcome to Explorify Canada podcast. Join us as we sit with other Canadians at the roundtable
1: to discuss and sometimes argue about financial independence in Canada.
2: Welcome everybody to Explorify Canada. You're listening to the future of personal finance in Canada and in particular, our three stories. For Ryan, Money Mechanic, and Chrissy. So you've clicked on my story today and I hope you sit back and enjoy it. I'm going to walk you through a bit of the timeline of my life and uh, to see where I got at the ripe old age of 29 to see where I am on my path to fire. Uh, I'm going to reveal approximately my net worth just to give you guys a bit of a lowdown on how I'm doing and Joining me on the podcast are my co host Chrissy from Vancouver. Hey, Chrissy.
1: Hi, everyone. I'm trying to stay dry here in Vancouver.
2: As always. And just over the pond is the money mechanic in Victoria, BC. Hey, buddy.
0: Hey, how's it going? I I can commiserate with Chrissy there. I've been trying to mow my lawn for the last week, but it's uh, sunny for about two hours and then it rains again. So uh, (laughs) it thinks it's spring. It's growing. It's driving me crazy. Suckers. (laughs) us. Cool. I'm going to start
2: off with 15-year-old Ryan. So, 15-year-old Ryan had a few financial moments at this time. He's living in Mississauga, Ontario. That's where he was born and raised. And he decided that he's going to get his very first job working for McDonald's. So, his dad takes him to not the bank, but to the superstore, the real Canadian superstore, to get a President's Choice financial account. And I actually think that this is probably one of the best foundations that he could have laid for me because I grew up with the internet. And he had said, you don't want a big bank because they're going to charge you fees. You want something that's going to be online where it's easy. It's where you're going to be used to and it's free. Most importantly, it is free. So, I want to give the man some credit because to this day, I've never paid for a bank account so that's 14 years later. I haven't paid for any banking account. Whenever people tell me, well, I have like a $3,000 minimum or I pay 1099 a month. uh, You know, I have to y'all, but I get checks and I get a free credit card and all this crap. And it's like, no, you you don't really need any of that. You just need a place online with your credentials in it where money can go in and money can go out. And I think uh, I just wanted to give the man some credit where credit is due.
1: Yeah. I think it's a great account. I've, I myself have only started paying banking fees recently, but I will soon be getting rid of that bank account and going back to a free account. But now you're saying that you don't need checks. How do you get around that? Because I still need checks.
2: I don't even remember the last time I've written a check.
1: Seriously? <laughs> so
2: I, I, What do I need it for?
1: I need checks all the time for um, school, school field trips for my kids. Sometimes the cost, mm. they, they just don't want cash. They want it in checks. And some of my family members, the older ones, they, they don't like being paid back in huge amounts of cash. They prefer a check or they won't take e-transfers. So I have to write a check
2: interesting I, I've been doing each e-tran- like e-transfers have replaced any type of check that I would need even when I sell things off Kijiji most people tell me they're like I don't have the cash can I just e-transfer it to you yeah <laughs> so it's that's kind of replaced it but I also I'm not a small business owner I don't um I mean I don't pay people with like contract like I don't have contractors or anything or like I, I just don't have any need to to do that. I just collect the T4 and and do most things myself. So checks are just really unnecessary.
1: Well, I envy you. (laughs) I wish I could get rid of checks. (laughs) Anyway, I took you off track.
2: There's a year and a half. (laughs) (laughs) So
0: I don't have to pay for the agenda with a check or anything yet. Yeah. Yeah. Well I got five books of checks and I've (laughs) not even used a quarter of one book. I do need a check once in a while, but it's pretty rare. Yeah. Well you know why? Because I recommend on my blog that people go with
2: tangerine checking account and tangerine will send you your first checkbook i think it's i think there's only 25 of them in there maybe that's the standard but you could just get that for free and then afterwards you have to pay i think 20 dollars, or it's almost like a dollar a check that you have to pay for and i read on my blog i'm like if you ever need a check for some ungodly reason there you go you got 25 that'll
0: probably last you your lifetime (laughs) right (laughs) yeah unless you got an old school tenant that wants checks every or old school landlord that wants checks every month
2: All right. Well, so yeah, I just, that seems like such a minor beginning to my financial story that you're hearing, but it really is just one of the smartest things. It's like, here's a product that you get for free. It is pivotal to your success in Canada that you have a checking account that you can check online. And the fact that it's free is just too good to pass up. And I kind of follow that ethos, you know, a bit later in my life. Uh, As I'll refer back to. So I'm going to jump ahead now to 18 year old Ryan. Uh, 18 year old Ryan is doing quite poorly in university. He took a poli sci sociology double major at University of Toronto. I have no idea why I signed up for that. I thought politics was neat. And I figured that was just the way to go. And I didn't want to be a university at all. And my marks reflected that. So I ended up dropping out and joining the military. The reason why this is such a financial milestone for me is I began to earn an income. I began to see how other people drink their entire paycheck at the mess hall. And I also got to learn that minimalism is one of the most wonderful things in the world and i'm going to touch on the minimalism for a second here because in the military you have to carry all your own crap everywhere and as everybody knows particularly any army brats listening that you have to move all the time the military doesn't just keep you in one place for 20 years that just doesn't happen no matter what sector you're in so you have to keep moving over and over and over again, which means you have to pick up all your crap and move over and over and over again. I th- I was in for three years, and I think I moved maybe seventeen times. Wow, yeah, just from being posted, I was posted to at least four different bases. Um, I was sent away on assignments while I was waiting for my training as an intelligence operator. So I'd go to a Calloway for a month, and then I'd go to CFB Valcartier, you know, and and role play as a burn victim so they were training firefighters and medics there so they just like spray painted you know flames onto me or like burn marks onto me and then <laughs> i would just I would, <laughs> I would cry actually i will say just quick sidebar that was one of the funnest freaking jobs in the world there is two amazing jobs i've ever had in the military and they were both actors one where i was pretending to be dying from uh, smoke inhalation and the second one where This one was in CFB Borden, which is just north of Barrion in in Ontario. And I got to be an actor for the police academy. I knew this was the job for me when they dropped cleats on my lap and said, strap these on, you're going to try and outrun the police today. (laughs) (laughs) And boy, did I ever, they never caught me. (laughs) (laughs) And in their defense, they're wearing boots and not cleats. So I, I immediately went for the wet, damp soccer field and just Kick their ass. But yeah.
1: <laughs> now, my question is why would they hire a soldier, not just pedestrian, you know, just someone from the public to do this?
2: Well, the military wants to insource as much as possible. I mean, they have all these bodies doing nothing, right? I mean, if I'm, if I'm not actively at war overseas or even at home, I have really nothing better to do but to train people. And so uh, these cops needed training. They, uh, clearly, they needed cardio skills. To be worked on, and <laughs> they chose the thinnest, leanest dude <laughs> of the bunch and gave him cleats. <laughs> so, you know, but yeah, why, why pay a civilian? Because uh, while I was in Borden, it, it's important to note that yeah. after basic training, they send the vast majority of logistical and support uh, personnel to Borden to wait for their course. So they don't run the courses just immediately out of basic training. They kind of wait for a group to form and then they run the course once there's enough people. So I was there for five or six months and with seemingly nothing to do. So, that's why they insource for that kind of stuff. So, you could have been sent to like the museum or you could have been sent to like the mess hall, you know, and peel potatoes or something like that. Now I got what was easily one of the best jobs, which was getting arrested over and over again. <laughs> so, it's wonderful. <laughs> I should probably do a blog post on that. It was a lot of fun. Getting back to the, to the financial side of things, I had a paycheck coming in and most people would begin to buy a car and drink at the mess hall but i didn't do either of those i instead relied on my parents to drive to and from the base to bring me home on weekends and whatnot and to see my girlfriend at the time and uh i just saved the money there is a financial firm on free canadian forces base called sisip s-i-s-p and they do your taxes they put your money into mutual funds and they they do basically what a big bank does and so i just began investing it was also the same year. The same year I joined the military. It was the same year the TFSA came into existence. So I started that bad boy up, and away I went investing. So did you
0: have choices of what to invest in there, or did they just put you in? Like, did you have a risk assessment, and and you said you know conservative, balanced, or growth, and how much risk you had depending on your age, and off you went? Did they have give choices? Exactly.
2: They. I mean. The choices they gave were confusing, but they did go through the risk tolerance. And I said that I'm just saving for for a home and I don't suspect I'll buy a home for another five or 10 years. So they gave me a high risk tolerance, which was fine. I don't have any argument with that. And then they went on to Morningstar and just looked at all the highly rated mutual funds and picked the one with the most stars and away I went. (laughs) It's a terrible way. That's a terrible way to pick an investment Um, (laughs) because you're going (laughs) off of someone else's research and not actually any like you know, empirical long term data, you're just going off of some dude who says, this is a good one. Look at the short term results. Can't go wrong. Yeah.
0: Okay. So I, I guess what I was wondering whether they had actually already picked out a group of funds that they had that they just a lot of the retirement planning for companies. It's just here's your group, Here are your choices. This is all you get. There's one, two, three, choose which door you want.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and I will say like to the credit of SISIP, the financial firm, and any um, military personnel listening is I don't believe that the woman who was helping me who worked there, I don't believe she was on a commission. I'm, I'm actually fairly certain I remember her saying she doesn't get paid by selling me stuff. She's paid by the government to help people in the military get their finances in order because so many of them live paycheck to paycheck.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I, I think it's yeah, I think it's more of like an agency because you won't find them anywhere else. So yeah. I believe so. I could be wrong, but that's my understanding of it.
1: Would you say the military is good with helping you with your finances? Because in the U.S., it sounds like that is a focus of theirs. They they try their best to help their personnel to be good with their money. And they have the Thrift Savings Plan, which sounds amazing, with some very good ETF choices in there. Uh, would you say the SISIP plan is similar in that way?
2: I mean, there was... It wasn't that there was like anything tailor-made for the Canadian military. It was just an option for you to go on base because like I said, I didn't have a car, so I didn't really have an option to leave the base. If I wanted to leave the base, um, I'd have to go into a town that is maybe 10 or 15 kilometers out, which is fairly unrealistic to get to without having to pay a cab. So it was just an option for guys to, to be able to, to just go and talk to somebody If it's all they have, then, I mean, that's all I had is all I knew. So I just started doing that. But yeah, there's no like military, you know, RSP or anything like that. Um, There are some bank accounts in Canada. I believe BMO has one for the Canadian military, but I don't even think it's free. I think you have to pay for it. So I ignored that. All right. I want to go a bit further forward again. So I'm out of the military. You know, the reasons I left, I just didn't really see the point of staying in. I kind of had my fun, I had my adventure, and I wanted to go work for RBC because I was definitely interested in finances, and I had begun investing through Sysip. And my buddy of mine, a family friend actually, was a bank manager at an RBC, and he only had a high school diploma. So I knew it was possible that without any type of formal education that I could rise up through the ranks of the bank and begin to establish myself a career and and finances was something that I was uh, becoming very very interested in it seemed the natural path however I was a teller at RBC I think for only about a year and the commission structure for a teller uh, first off there is a commission structure for tellers and I don't know if people know that so the teller's number one job is to get your butt into the seat of a financial advisor so somebody, once they're in the room, they, they pretty much have you, right? Because you've walked into the room willingly and you're going to leave with a TFSA with monthly contributions and yada, 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 you know, all sorts of other insurance products and all that crap, right? They're going to sell you on as much as possible, but the job is just to get your ass into their seat. And it's harder to get people who are just coming in to replace a debit card to, to get them into that room so they can sell them a product. And I struggled a bit emotionally or I guess uh, like philosophically with people who are coming in and I could see that they didn't really have a penny to their name. they were deeply in debt. And then it's coming up with sales uh, rewards, you know, saying this rewards for me saying, hey, you can make a unit if you up their credit limit on their credit card or they could save on their annual fee of their credit card if they just up to their bank account. Like you should refer them to the financial advisor and I began to look at books on how to persuasively talk and to try and get people to to just see my my point of view. And they didn't want that at all. They were just at the teller to make the minimum payment on their credit card, or they were at the teller to cash a check or what have you. And they, they didn't want to be sold to. So I felt like I had clients coming in who didn't want to be customers. And I didn't want clients. I just wanted customers. And The commission structure was so poor and I felt so wrong kind of coercing people into that office because it didn't make any sense. And if you, if you listen to the very first part of my story where I said I was 15 and I got set up with a free bank account and there's no need to walk into a bank, I was basically a huge hypocrite being a teller and it didn't sit right with me and I ended up having to leave.
1: That's an interesting story. (laughs) Very revealing about what goes on behind the scenes at a bank.
2: Yeah, I I guess so. It's, It's not that they're inherently evil. I just think that it's just inherently bad financial practice to go into the bank and to try and get advice from people who are at the bank because they don't have your best interest at heart. You have your best interest at heart. How many times do you hear it on any of the financial independence podcasts or blogs that no one cares more about your money than you? And the moment you begin to outsource, tasks like investing, or even just paying for things with a check, as we've discussed, and and a multitude of other financial services that uh, you may need or want in this world, you can do it all for free. And you can do it all yourself. So to outsource the task to a bank is a very expensive choice.
0: Well, without naming any names, I've been at one of the big banks for most of my life. When you hear my story, you'll hear when I set up an account there. And just from my, my personal experience, just to relate to your experiences that I've never, ever felt sold to in my particular bank. So it's interesting to hear that, um, that perspective from you and especially to get from the sort of behind the scenes side, because obviously I've never experienced that. So I've never felt that it's cost me a lot of money to be with my bank. So it's interesting. I wonder if there are just differences out there. And, and I totally respect the choice to go with, mm-hmm. with free banking because there's just so many good options now that it just makes sense.
1: Yeah, and I, I would have to agree. I've had the same experience as money mechanic. I have never felt like I was sold to ever. And I use tellers on a somewhat regular basis. I'm not sure how I need to go into the bank as much as I do right but- I
0: just <laughs> same as you need yeah, a exactly.
1: I just somehow need to, like <laughs> depositing a US check, stuff like that. I just have to go into banks a lot for things like that. Anyway, I have not felt told to, and I know the pressure behind the scenes because I and I will talk about this in my own story. My mom worked for a big bank and I still bank with that big bank. And she had these quotas she had to meet as a personal banking officer, and it was high stress, high pressure. And she also had that difficult time to balance her clients' needs with what quotas she had to meet. And most of the time she chose clients and that would get her in trouble. And it was hard for her. And it was hard for me to have to see her go under that stress. And if she was still alive and working today, I think I would have to be trying to convince her to quit because I I just don't agree with all of that. It's it's so bad for everyone involved in that
2: system. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, every week I was pulled into my manager of client care, which was the teller's boss, and they would print out my sales reports and I'd have one unit or two units or something like that. And I had to have four a week. I had to. So they were telling me, they're like, you're failing at your job. You're not providing our clients with proper advice because more and more people should be coming in and, and signing up for stuff. And then even one time they handed me A list. And they're like, you can cold call these people to try and get your, your sales up. And I told them, I said, I work at a bank, not or like I work, I work work at a branch, not the call center. I was like, I'm not calling people. Are you nuts? (laughs) Right? You know, and, and just for fun, I started to go through all their, all the information. So they give me a client, they'd have a, what's called an SRF number, which is like a nine digit kind of unique code to their thing. So I'd look it up. And all these people were the exact people I was describing. They had no money at least not at RBC, they had nothing. They had credit card debt. They had a check or a checking account that was either at zero, $10 or overdrawn. It was never anything above 50 bucks. And they wanted me to cold call these people and tell them that they had an up, like they they could up the limit on their credit card or that they could sign up for a more all-inclusive banking package and get that credit card that they shouldn't have no business owning in the first place and then start waiving the annual fee on it. And it's, it felt wrong to me and maybe I'm on my high horse here and I, perhaps financial advisors and people who work for the bank are listening to this and say, you know, you kind of have to ignore all that stuff, but I couldn't. It wasn't for me. I didn't feel comfortable whatsoever trying to coerce people into financial products. There was a guy that came in one day and he said, I've had enough with TD or Scotia, whichever one, right? And he said, I want to sign up for a banking Uh, package here. And I said, well, what do you need? And he says, I just need unlimited checking. I don't need checks. I don't need anything else. I just want unlimited checking. And I said, dude, that's $10 a month, or you can go to President's Choice Financial for $0 a month. And at that point, (laughs) I was like, I'm never going to get a sale because I won't even take the free ones that come my way because I thought I gave him the best advice, which was to not Mm -hmm. sign up with RBC or whatever.
1: Good for you. What did he decide?
2: He left. He said, thanks, homie. And then walked out.
1: (laughs) perfect
2: <laughs> <laughs> right you know they're like what that guy want? I'm like oh he wanted change for the bus
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you know so yeah anyways it it never sat I, I don't like working there i don't like bringing my money to some of the big banks and it's not because again I, I don't think they're inherently evil and i don't shame anybody for working for the industry or for having their money in a big bank but know what you're paying for because the reason that they have all those tellers there is because you've bought them and the reason why they can give you free coffee is because you pay for it you pay for it with your mortgage you pay for it with the two percent mer's that they sell you you pay for it with the fact that you have to buy checks and the fact that you accidentally bounced a check and they would refuse to refund the nsf even though you did it once in seven years kind of thing you 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 buy it all the time i don't think you should i mean I'm 29 years old. I'm, I'm a millennial. I'm, I'm very digital. So I have that advantage. I, I don't know if people much older than me could theoretically do the same thing. But certainly to my cohort and younger generation zetters, there's no point. Save yourself the trouble. All right. Next. <laughs> Moving right along. Moving right <laughs> along. Okay. So I ditched my job at RBC and I decided to go work in a warehouse. So I'm 25 at this point. I learned how to drive a forklift and I'm moving boxes. Again, I don't have any university degrees, so I can't apply for any type of super cushy office job or uh, anything that requires a four-year honors bachelor's. I, I just don't have that qualification. And I had wondered, you know, if this is going to hold me back or if there actually is a high-paying job out there for somebody without a degree. And I can already hear money mechanic just whirling, being like, um, the trades. Hello, I'm a mechanic, but I wasn't, I'm not a particularly handy person and I just don't get, I mean, I, I can put together stuff from Ikea at like fairly decent speed, but otherwise, no, I don't know. I'm just not that great with stuff. And I thought that there must be another way. And it occurred to me when I was driving a forklift and loading some truckers trailer that he was just on his phone Farting around. And I stopped and I said, Give it to me straight, man. How much money do you make an hour? And he says, 20. Why? And I was making 14. And I realized that the dude on his phone was making $6 more an hour than me. And it's because he possessed a skill. He possessed a skill that not a lot of Canadians want, which is to drive a tractor trailer. In Ontario, it's called an AZ license. So it dawned on me that I could get myself an actual skill. Not that driving a forklift doesn't require skill, but it's not. Skilled labor, really, to the eyes of any employer. Almost anybody can drive a forklift, much like almost anybody can drive a car. But driving a truck wasn't the same story. Most people couldn't drive a truck, or they didn't want to drive a truck, or they're too afraid to drive a truck. I realized that that was it. $20 an hour for this dude to be on the phone. Imagine if he was doing real work. How much money would he be making then? Because he's just standing there doing nothing. (laughs) (laughs) It was just, it boggled my mind, right? I couldn't believe it. And it was because his license says A Z. And so I immediately signed up for a truck driving school. It was at an actual trucking company. And they told me when they signed me up, they said, listen, you're not going to pay any money now. You're going to go out for four hours of driving and you're going to decide if this is right for you. And if it is, then you'll begin paying us for the tuition for the school. It was about six thousand dollars. And I said, okay, that's that's awesome. That's sweet. And I was like, but I don't have my learner's permit or anything. And they said, you don't need it. As long as you have a full G license, this is again, Ontario. As long as you have your full regular card license and you have no restrictions on it and no accidents, no tickets, you can be behind the wheel of a track trailer. You just need someone who's a qualified teacher to be there instructing you. And so you'll get four hours for free and just let us know what you think. And so I did it and... I loved it. I loved that I could just be on the road. I pictured that as soon as the guy wasn't going to be there with me, I was basically my own boss. It was almost like very entrepreneurial to become a truck driver, even though I'd be working for a company. And the other fantastic part about this school that I was at is that they were owned by an actual trucking company that did long hauls to to Montreal. They do it to New Jersey. They do it all over the U.S., And they told me the moment you graduate, you have a job, like you start Monday, if you graduate on Friday, you're coming in for Monday to make some money. And I was absolutely thrilled at this prospect. And so I did exactly that started on Monday, and I began making money, but it just wasn't good money. The company, while I do think that they they're a good employer to work for, they just didn't pay that much money. It ended up not being an hourly rate It ended up being uh, what's called by the load. So I would take a trailer to a company and have it unloaded and they would pay me $22 and then I would bring the empty trailer back to the yard and they would pay me $18. So it's $40, but sometimes that work took four hours and then I'd be making $10 an hour. And because it was piecework, there's no, there's no overtime. There's no, there's no getting some sort of hourly wage or trying to get compensated. You just, you make the money when the product gets moved, whether it's an empty trailer or a full trailer. So I wasn't making a lot of money and then i decided to go online because i knew that there had to be opportunity nobody wants to drive a truck in ontario especially nobody wants to unload the back of a truck in ontario this is why people hire movers and it's why all these restaurants uh, don't have their own fleets they just outsource it to another company and i began what's called food service which is showing up to a burger king pulling out the ramp of a trailer and bringing in all their whoppers and fries And I did that and that was where I began to make real money. So being in the military and working for RBC and working at the warehouse and then working uh, for this first trucking company, I probably never made more than 40 grand a year. But doing food service, actually bringing in the product that nobody else wanted to do in the dead of winter at 3 a.m. in the morning, not nobody wants to be caught outside of Starbucks bringing in cups. It's just not a desirable job. And so they paid big time for it. And I began to make about, on average, $40 an hour. And it was the first time I've ever made six figures in my life.
1: That's a huge increase in pay. Mm-hmm. Huge. Mm-hmm.
2: I did a lot of overtime. I worked on average 52 hours a week. I agreed to go to downtown Toronto, which they paid another $25 a day, a day, just to go there. And wow. the one of the best part about it, it was piecework again. It was not hourly. But... The beauty of that was when you were done, you were done. So the moment I left the distribution center with the truck, I made my money. You know, I get paid maybe 300, maybe $350. I already made my money. The only stipulation was I had to bring back the trailer empty. So everybody was going to get their food come hell or high water. Didn't matter if there was a blizzard outside. Didn't matter if a deer hit my truck. <laughs> it did not matter. They had an obligation to the customer. Starbucks wasn't gonna wasn't gonna stay closed just because they didn't get their coffee. I had to bring it. And uh, they would dock my pay if I didn't deliver all my stores. So it really kind of shifted my mindset into overdrive. It was how can I do this more efficiently? How can I work on the certain routes that I've been given and how can I how can I adjust them? So I, I began almost obsessively planning my days ahead of time and being able to get the most perfect route. So instead of working 12 hours for $350, I was working eight hours for $350. And it really kind of built that entrepreneurial spirit that I can figure out a solution to anything and make it work for my financial situation. That's essentially my career now. So I'm still a truck driver. I still work in the food service industry. I did end up switching that job for another one that pays hourly, um, simply because, uh, with the first food service job I got, when you won, you won. So like I said, when you worked eight hours and you made a cool $350, you were feeling great. On top of that, you got $25 for going to downtown Toronto. Um, maybe I did something else and they paid me a bit extra. I mean, I could earn some real coin, but when it stunk, it stunk. If there was traffic on the road, if there was construction crews and I got blocked for two hours, I wouldn't get paid anything. It was literally $0 in my bank account. So it just ended up costing me a lot of money. And when things cost you a lot of money, it costs you a lot of stress. And I ended up becoming very, very stressed at that job. Like I said, I had been obsessively planning my routes over and over and over again. And it began to take over my evenings. So I wasn't even at work. (laughs) And they would send me what I was going to do tomorrow via a text message. And I would say, no, 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 you, you, you've put a store here and it shouldn't be there. That's going to cost me half an hour. And I'd get on the phone and have them switch it around. And it's, you you come to this point where it's like, okay, do I want, do I want to be a truck driver 24 seven or do I just want to do it kind of nine to five and just have my evenings and weekends to myself?
1: So did you take a pay cut with this change in companies?
2: I did actually. Um, So I, my top grossing year at the first food service company was 109 grand. And my second uh, food service company is going to pay me about 80 grand a year. So it was a good, decent amount of change, 29 grand, right? But I'm also just beginning the second one. So once I'm at the top hourly rate and I've been there for a few years, I'm going to uh, probably earn, including the overtime, uh, so about 50 hours a week, probably about 100 grand and that's because i'm i'm doing a job nobody wants to do. Nobody wants to drive to a store in -20 and then stand outside and do manual labor. It sucks. <laughs> it does. It's not a it's not a glorious job. There's nothing high tech or sexy about shifting a tractor trailer into gear and plummeting down the highway. You know, where everyone else is crashing and people are cutting you off and you know weather has you down and you're driving in the middle of the night it's not desirable but it's very very lucrative
1: well i think your your story is super inspiring because it's a path that just about anyone could choose it doesn't require a whole a huge amount of education you it doesn't require a, a very expensive education it's not cheap but it's also not expensive if you compare it to a full university education and you've done well. (laughs) You've done really well with this beginning. And I I think it's great for people to hear a story like yours.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with that too. A lot of people think there's not a lot of options out there, but uh, Ryan's proved that there are options and take advantage of the one that you have and, and make it work for you.
2: And one last thing on it, because I do want to get to other financial milestones in my story, is that when you follow your passion blindly, you'll typically not make a lot of money, but if you follow opportunity and bring your passion with you, you can make a lot of money. So I have this very entrepreneurial drive, but I've never owned a business for myself. I've never been a contractor. I've always worked for another company, but I've brought that drive with me and it earned me 109 grand in what was my second year of truck driving in Canada. That's a hell of a lot of money. And I did that with $8,000. That's it. Yeah. That's a great return on investment. (laughs) So tell us, what did you do with all that money? (laughs) Well, I ended up moving from Mississauga, where I'd always been, and I uh, decided I didn't want to rent anymore and pay someone else's mortgage, which is uh, another topic for another time, because that's such a stupid statement. And I decided to buy a home in Kitchener, Ontario, which is where I'm podcasting from right now. My wife and I looked high and low for a place in Kitchener that met both of our criteria. And my wife really wanted a detached home. She wanted the suburban upbringing that she got and that I got. And I was definitely leaning towards a condo. I didn't want to own a lawnmower or a backyard or to have to take care of plants or anything like that. I just kind of, (laughs) I I didn't want a yard at all. I, I wanted the condo life, but my wife didn't want that. I compromised. I said, okay, we'll look for one, but I don't want to spend a lot of money. And I had certainly had the income to finance a home That could cost you know six hundred or seven hundred thousand dollars in Mississauga. But I put my foot down and I said, We're not gonna live here if that's what you want. We have to look elsewhere. And so Kitchener had many homes, you know, in Cambridge and Waterloo and all the surrounding areas here. They had homes from two hundred grand to five hundred grand to seven hundred grand. And there was this great happy medium that we found for three hundred and fifteen grand in this beautiful little suburb in Chicopee Hills in Kitchener, Ontario, And, and that's where we ended up going. And I call this local geographic arbitrage. On our episode five with Millennial Revolution, I had talked about this and I said, rather than swear off home ownership entirely, I decided to just pool my resources into something that was actually affordable. Housing is not very affordable in Canada, but it is if you're willing to relocate. And I was willing to do that. And my wife was willing to do that. That was our compromise. So we ended up buying a place, like
1: I said, for 315 grand. I just want to ask because I'm in that position where I live in an expensive area, in an expensive suburb, and I don't want to move because our family is all here. So how did you and your wife handle that? Are you not that far from family that it's a reasonable distance to commute if you want to see them?
2: No, the commute is about 45 minutes if we want to see them. And we don't don't see them um, every week or anything like that so it's it wasn't a huge issue for us I, I don't think that I don't want to sound you know awful but my family is not as important to me as what a lot of other people would hope it would be but it, it's simply not my my family to me is my wife and my daughter I don't really consider my extended family to to be the be-all, end-all, and I have to be close to them. We just don't have that type of close relationship, you know, like we did when we were kids and we were all living together. Since I joined the military at 18, I had kind of exited the family life and went, you know, kind of on my own and had to take care of myself. I had to pull up my own diaper and do my own laundry, and I kind of just grew up, and I I wasn't just in my family anymore
1: and your wife is in the same position where well 45 minutes i think is totally reasonable I, it, it takes me about 45 minutes sometimes to get to see my family in vancouver i'm not that far but sometimes it takes that long
2: <laughs> jeez are you driving 20 or what <laughs> you don't understand the traffic over here
1: <laughs> it can be bad. i live
2: near the 401 you guys don't understand the traffic <laughs> yeah. that's here
1: I've heard I've heard about this legendary four oh one many times.
2: Yeah. With my newfound high income. The first thing I did was buy a home. Uh the second thing I did was uh procreate. So <laughs> and what a nice word to use, huh? Both expensive options. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I'd always been aware of Mr. Money Mustache and Million Dollar Journey. Those were the two financial blogs that I checked in from time to time, but I never subscribed to the RSS feed. I never had them bookmarked, but if I saw an article that would come up every once in a while, I'd click on it and have a read. I was interested in personal finance after all. When my daughter was born, a light bulb went off inside my head, and I thought, "Oh my gosh. I just bought a treadmill, I just bought a lawnmower." I just bought a pressure washer. I got all this crap that I just bought for my home. And I began, I realized I was filling up my home. We bought a three bedroom, three bathroom for two people. And I had to start filling up all those spaces. And I was buying all this stuff. And when I had my daughter, it was like, it it, it just clicked inside my head. And I thought, I should stop buying stuff. I should be saving my money. And it it was almost like, I had like a like a your life flash before your eyes kind of moment. And it was just, oh my gosh, Mr. Money Mustache's articles now all make sense. (laughs) A million dollar journey now makes sense to me. This is why I choose these stocks. This is why I choose to ride a bike. This is why I choose early retirement. And that became my goal. It became my obsession to pursue this path. The reason I'm even talking on a podcast today is because when I started obsessively looking into the Canadian financial scene in terms of early retirement and fire in general, there was nothing. There was hardly a conversation. I mean, there was nothing really I could even join. So we had to create it. And that's why I'm really proud of Explorify Canada because it's we're creating the conversation. We're not just joining it. You, the listener, can join our conversation. We encourage you to. But my story resonates with you and I hope it does. You can see why I get so excited about fire because I want to be there for my daughter. I don't want to teach her that 50 hours a week of work is necessary to finance a pickup truck or to finance uh, an even bigger home than the one we have and to finance all sorts of crap like your phone and your expensive bank account and your MERs and yada, yada, yada. You don't need all that.
1: Yeah, I think that's a wonderful goal. And it just reinforces what most of us in the FI or FIRE community say that once you find your why, it all just falls into place. You know why you're pushing for this goal. It's not just to quit work for most of us. It There is often a bigger, more meaningful goal, which is what you're going towards, not what you're trying to run away from. And for you, that's to be there for your daughter. And that's incredible. And i I. I can't wait for you to <laughs> reach that goal and and to be able to be at home with her the way that you want to be.
2: Well, speaking of reaching that goal, I suppose I should now own up to my to my previous uh, promise that where I reveal where I'm located on my path to fire. And currently, my net worth is about forty five times my annual expenses. And when you think about that, you're like, dude, isn't it twenty five times? Like you're you're there, you're done. Good job. Um, but I'm not because I'm only considering my net worth. I'm not actually considering cash flowing investments. So, my home and my locked in retirement account that I got from the military equals to be about 750 grand. But neither of those is providing income for me because I don't house hack, because I'm not over the age of 50 or 55 or whatever it is to be able to unlock the lira, the locked in retirement account. So, i'm i have a lot of money but no cash flow to show for it and therefore i'm still at work (laughs) and that's it's very frustrating when you think about it when you when i i i know i perhaps talk from an extreme place of privilege but i have done so much to reduce my expenses and i've done so much to increase my income and i've worked so bloody hard to get my financial situation looking great and i doubt that there are many 29 year olds in canada with as much wealth as I have, but I can't, I, I can't do anything with it. It's all locked away in a, in, a, in a sense. So my job now is to begin pooling as much money. I'm gonna we're paying off the mortgage very very early, and perhaps that's a financial mistake. But I think that's a story for another time. But I will pay off the mortgage, my wife and I, and then we're going to be just stock loading all of our finances or all of our all of our excess cash into a giant money-making vehicle that is
0: a broad-based index fund. So addressing the elephant in the room, because I know there's going to be listeners out there that probably hit their calculator just like (laughs) I did. We want to know how you live off $16,000 a year. It's really quite simple. (laughs) It's, I mean, it has to be. It's only
2: $16,000. It can't be anything complicated. That's right. Yeah. That doesn't even pay a mortgage on the West Coast. Correct. And that number does not include any mortgage payments. The reason why is that I only have about 38 grand left on my mortgage. So I am going to pay it off in the next 10 months or so. That's going to be a reality for me. And then if I don't move and I just stay where I'm living, then the mortgage doesn't exist. So I don't need to pay it in perpetuity because I've already paid it. So my annual expenses, they don't need to be that high, right? I don't have the mortgage. So why, why, would I, why would I calculate my fire number to include something that doesn't exist? I'd rather take the invisible dividend that is homeownership without a mortgage and let that theoretically pay me. Yeah, no, I see where you're going with that. The mortgage, yeah. Because it doesn't exist, I don't have to pay for it. So that's how my expenses are so low. My housing costs are incredibly low. We have one car. We don't have two financed luxury SUVs sitting in the lot. We just have one 2012, I believe it is, Toyota Corolla. It's an it's not pretty, it's not designed to be pretty, but it works, it's clean, and it's safe. It gets me from point A to point B, and it gets my wife from point A to point B. My job is in the evening and on the weekends. My wife's job is is she's a teacher. She has that kind of eight to eight to three o'clock or whatever kind of schedule. So we can get away with one car. That's another reason our our expenses are so low. Our banking, I don't pay any fees for banking, so that's just zero. It doesn't cost me anything. My investments.
1: And a lot of your meals are covered by your job, right?
2: Oh, that's that's more of a job hack for sure. And definitely something I should own up to on the <laughs> podcast. Yes. One of the other wonderful things for work, working for food service is that when I switched my jobs, I began delivering to other stores that are 24 hours. And these stores are full of really nice people who want to give me food. They're like, oh, thanks. You know, like, just thanks for doing your job. Can I get you anything? and it's kind of funny that yeah i i I get this insane luxury i don't have to pack a lunch i can work 12 hours and never have to pack a lunch i haven't packed a lunch in a year or so there are very very few times where i have to bring any food or buy any food because i'm starving because a lot of these restaurants that i get to go to will feed me it's really quite
0: a bonus it is. So you got the, the major hacks all down there, the house hacks, the, uh, the car planning and, and food too. That's awesome. Plus, you know, I got my phone hack as well. I got
2: my public mobile and I started my blog and, my, and our podcast that we all share together. And I'm trying to refer enough people that it cost me zero dollars. So when you stack up all these very, very mm-hmm. simple ways of living, It's inevitable. Like, it's not that I aimed for 16. I set that as my budget, and then I did everything to try and crunch the numbers down to that. It's just that's just a number that has ended up coming out. (laughs) Right? I I didn't know if it was going to be 20 grand. I didn't know if it was going to be 30 grand. I remember a while ago, Chrissy, you posted on Chooseify Canada and you said, Is it realistic that? most Americans live on 30 grand a year. And, you know, when you do the conversion and and factor in that Canada is a bit more expensive, we should all be living on, you know, 40 grand a year as a mustachian level. Isn't that true? And I don't think that 40 grand a year is an unreasonable target for anybody pursuing fire in Canada, but it certainly is a lot less efficient than the game plan that I have going forward. My game plan is to do everything from, you know, switching to public mobile as I did and to stay on top of my insurance and and slash those expenses. I mean, I don't have life insurance. Why would I need to pay for life insurance when I have no debt? That to me just doesn't make sense. But for a lot of other people who have financed a lot of their life or, um, you know, they're still trying to get out of debt and, and whatnot. And I, I totally understand that everyone has a different trajectory and a different starting point. But for me and and where I am, I don't have to pay for a lot of the things that other people inherently thought they did, or simply need to. It doesn't exist for me. And that's how my 16 grand is actually realistic. And if anybody wants to see the itemized breakdown of it, you can head to my blog, NadiumFire.ca, and take a look. I don't hide
0: anything. Yeah, I think it's interesting when you uh, come from a place where you have uh, sort of a focused direction from, I don't want to say a, a younger age, but I definitely, as you'll hear in my story, I definitely spent a lot longer, uneducated, financially and uh, without a direction uh, towards fi so it definitely changes it's interesting to hear the other stories i do want to say and i've addressed this
2: before but you know what fire has a very inherent age bias to it but it's that's kind of all in your own head though because as John from Choose Fire always says, you don't know what you don't know until you do, right? So if you're 40 and then you just discovered fire is something that you want to try and achieve for, you don't have to hear, you know, Ryan's story on ethic and go, oh, well, he's young. He was set up for it. He, you know, he, I mean, he was set up with a free bank account for crying out loud kind of thing, right? Like he, he grew up with with computers and whatnot. So it's just easier for him and therefore it can't be for me, right? I've never said that anything was easy. And I certainly don't think that people back then had it easier. I actually think it's the opposite. I think people who are older have it much harder. You have it much harder because you've been living the same lifestyle over and over again. You have it much harder because you've had to learn different technology and you've had to break away from social norms, which was harder back then. But now everyone's on their laptop in their basement, just like me. And it's easier to break out of these social norms. It's easier to find free things to to do and see and and whatnot. And it's just, it's definitely an advantage having time on your side, but it's not a barrier. It's not a barrier to entry, in my opinion.
0: No, I've always said that just making the first change in a, you know, living intentionally and uh, being mindful of your spending, it doesn't matter what age you are, you just start doing that and it pays dividends right away.
2: Mm
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Truer words have never been spoken. Well, guys, do you have any other questions for me? Do you uh, do you have any other fact checking that we need to do, or what? No, it's uh, it was interesting hearing your story and uh, learning a little bit more about your path and how you got to where you're at. Excited to hear uh, follow along as you go forward. Yeah, definitely. I think there's a lot of. A lot of blog posts and a lot of
2: more podcast stories that could probably come out of of what I've said because, you know, I've intentionally left some things vague and there's some things that I would like to go in more depth with, but, you know, we do have a time limit here and I don't want to go over an hour. So, uh, I'd like to thank everybody for listening and to listening to my story. And if you haven't already, make sure you give Chrissy and the money mechanic a listen as well, because we're going to have all these stories up at the same time. And I hope that this is inspiring. And if you want to connect with me in particular, with my story, you can email me at canadianfire one at gmail.com. That's the number one. And if you want as well, uh, share your story out loud uh anywhere you you find us and anywhere you spread the fire that could be in an email to us that could be on our facebook page that could be in choose canada anywhere we, we'd love to hear it and to connect with people
1: thank you everyone for listening
2: thanks for listening you can find all our show notes at
0: explorifycanada.ca. do you like what you're hearing help us grow by sharing the show with friends and family please subscribe and leave us a comment or review on your favorite podcast
1: directory You can also find us at our own blogs, figarage.ca, canadianfire.ca, or eatsleepbreatheby.com. Our music today was provided by Purple Planet.
2: We'll be back with another episode soon. We'll talk then.